0: as Colonel for Hugh Clements. Perez is the first person of color to lead the Providence Police. Our Steph Machado sat down with the new chief to learn more about his background, why he entered law enforcement and what his plans are moving forward.
1: Colonel, thank you so much for taking the time to sit down with us. Um, It's been about a month since you were selected as chief. So just tell me first, what have you been doing? Any changes you've made, policies, even anything small in the month since you've been chief?
0: No, thank you so much for the interview. I truly appreciate it. Oh, but uh, no, there's been a lot going on uh, as soon as I took over. Uh, there was stuff that we're working on, looking at the policies, making sure the training of the officers, getting ready for the new academy that just started. Uh, there's just a lot going on. Besides that, uh, you know, there's all the other stuff that we're working on, but yeah, there's, there's a lot. So,
1: I want to help the people of Providence get to know you a little better. We know you immigrated here when you were thirteen from Colombia. What was it like being new to this country as a teenager and growing up in Providence? Um, you know, leading up to when you decided to become a police officer.
0: Well, wow, it's uh, great bringing me back. Uh, yeah, so I came to the country when I was uh, December of nineteen eighty-two. Right, so I was uh, almost thirteen years old as an adolescent. Um, got to meet some great people. I came to uh, my uncle's house. He lived in South Providence. We lived in an attic at the time. My father and I immigrated. Uh, just an immigrant who came to a new life, new country, trying to figure out what was going on, right? How do you get adjusted? How do you integrate yourself into a community that was brand new to you? Uh, and so I did. I, uh, I was able to, uh, I had a younger cousin who ended up joining the Marines, and at the time he was getting ready to get enlisted. And so him and I uh, actually hit it off. We got very close, and uh, I got to meet the community. South Province was much different than, than it is now, so, yeah.
1: What was it like?
0: It was different. It was, uh, I think it was a pretty large Amer- African-American community at the time, and uh, it was a friend of mine who I'm still friendly with, uh, Benny Johnson, and his father was a boxing coach uh, nearby uh, Elma Street where I came to, and uh, so I got to meet Benny, uh my cousin, and uh, it was just uh, the street, Broad Street. I look at it now, right, and you have about uh, hundreds of Latino markets and barbershops. There was only one barbershop that I could remember when I first came here. Uh, and, uh, that's where we all used to go to. Um, and I used to walk from Elma to go to high school, which was central high school. I went to Roger Williams Middle School, um, and, uh, it was just, it was just hard. it was different, trying to learn the language, getting used to the snow, getting used to the weather, uh, leaving your friends behind, uh, you know, I was uh, getting ready to go into high school, and, uh. I was an adolescent, it was just it was just a lot different. You know?
1: And you've got a few boxing gloves I see hanging in your office. So what was the significance of the boxing for you as a kid?
0: So it's funny, right? So I played soccer all my life. You know, soccer was a major sport in the city. As a matter of fact when I entered central high school, I went from J V right to varsity. Uh, and boxing was something that I was brought into by, by Beanie Johnson, as I just mentioned, and my cousin. And uh, my first first time I remember I was in there. I don't know if they were trying to teach me a lesson. They put me with this kid who had been boxing for a while and uh, took a little beating, right? So they thought I wasn't going to come back, and I came back the next day, and uh, I realized how much that sport had to offer uh, from discipline, from understanding the difficulties of life, uh, being in there, going back, putting the right people on your corner, giving you the water, the people that support you, uh, and understanding that when you're in the ring, it's almost like you're... uh, whatever it is that you're trying to accomplish, you're doing it on yourself. But you gotta prepare yourself, train well, do what you have to do to make sure that you can get there, and then you'll survive, right? So boxing to me has been with me uh, from day one. Like I said, the discipline to study, the discipline to uh, continue to grow. Uh, did, feet. No, yes.
1: Did you know back then that you wanted to be a police officer?
0: So yeah, you no, know, I had an interest in, uh, growing up in Colombia. Uh, it was, in the 80s, was very hard. It was difficult. Mm-hmm. I came from humble beginnings. Uh, it was a major urban in the city. I mean, we look at urban in a city in Colombia, and there's poverty, poverty to the sense that there's no kids with no shoes, uh, that are mingling with you and playing soccer with you in the middle of the street. Um, so I used to admire the work that the police officers did in Colombia. I have the privilege to train with a lot of them in this profession. As a matter of fact, at the FBI Academy that I recently went to, I got to meet one of the officers, the captain, and uh, and so I've always looked at them as heroes. But back then, I caught an interest. And then when I came to this country, um, it was in there, but I really wasn't sure that that's something I wanted to do. But I did admire their job. And I was at Central High School, and two detectives came in and spoke to us about street law. And he caught an interest from Providence, and he caught my interest. And from there on, I just, I, I graduated from Central High School, and my goal was to become a cop.
1: Uh, other than that in- interaction with those two detectives, did you have any interactions with the police as a young person, positive or negative, that made you want to join?
0: Yeah, yeah, I did. I did. I did both positive and I did some negative. I mean, growing up in the, um, in South Providence, it's unfortunately because sometimes we c- become victims of our own environment. It's no fault to an officer. It's just the fact that, I mean, I lived in a pretty hot street. It was called Elma Street, to the point that they used to call the fire department because it, they used to say it was on fire. The drugs, you name it. We had... Uh, fights. And so the cops would come and I would see how they cleaned up the street, locked up some people. And, you know, we, I would, I was admiring that. And then obviously I used to leave my house and drive in and I get pulled over because of the fact that they thought maybe I was in the mix of the, of the things that were going on on that street. Uh, officers, some officers were professional, others were not. And, you know, I, I didn't judge anybody, but I felt that, uh, Uh, Yeah, it was it was bad. It was I shouldn't say bad. It was just encounters that could have been handled differently, right? Never to the point that I needed to do anything. But but I just uh, it was all life experience that I think has made me who I am. Yeah, in the sense of being a a good leader, also understanding the challenges of the neighborhoods that we police. Uh, So,
1: do you feel like it sounds like you felt, felt like maybe you were profiled?
0: No, not at all. I think that, I think it had to do with, like, you know, the street that I lived in. My, my, it was bad. I mean, the house next to me got caught on fire. It was, there was a lot going on, and there were some dilemmas, and I think that they were just trying to do their work. Uh, I backed out of a house that, that was, having, was having some issues, and there was drug activity that was going on. Uh, I mean, literally, the people who sit on my porch that I lived in selling drugs, and uh, I, was, I, was, I was okay with the fact that, that there was proactive police work being done. It's something that I've always realized that you know, uh, and I come to my understanding that community policing and proactive policing or crime reduction is two things that have to uh, coexist together. And I understand well, this 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 job is hard. It's not easy, and uh, and it's something that it has to be done right, professionally, in a constitutional manner.
1: Did you ever feel like, with all of what was happening around you, that you could have gone down the wrong path?
0: Um. I had a lot of, you know, I've had some great parents. Uh, my mom and dad, my mom passed away, and uh, the discipline was in my house. I think boxing had it. Uh, there was peer pressure, like many of our kids in our city have it, right? This pressure that we face. Uh, and sometimes we don't have certain leaders or mentors that can get us on the right track. Could I have gone in the right, in the wrong direction? Well, possibly, but it's just never something that uh, I was too busy, too busy going on in school and whatnot. And uh I looked at it. I was able. It was actually a privilege to me to be able to grow up in a neighborhood that had some those type of issues. Because I think police officers that are good police officers are the ones that have great life experiences, right? Someone that has compassion, empathy, and understanding for the social ills that many times we face, uh, and that has nothing to do with race. I just happen to be Latino. I grew up with some white guys that grew up in South Providence, and. Eat rice and beans and then salsa better than I do. So sometimes I think it just has to do with life experiences. So, uh, to your question, I think it just, it's just, I was just privileged to be able to to be uh, exposed, exposed to some things and then realize what my, uh, well, who I am and the character that wouldn't change for anything. So,
1: so you grow up, you get married, you join the police academy. Um, it's 1994. Um, Listen, the police department has been getting more diverse, especially the most recent academies, but it wasn't so much back then. What was it like, you know, in the early 90s at the police department? And have you, in terms of, you know, again, the lived experiences of your fellow officers and the diversity, and then how has that changed throughout the almost 30 years you've been here?
0: Yeah, so, I mean, you're right, in the 90s, it was more of that traditional way of policing, right, where we uh, handcuffs, lock up people, and that was that, you know. And I came in, I want to say I was one of maybe 30 minorities on the job. Uh, but I've always uh, been who I am but right? the values that I have in me I don't give them up for anything uh, just I think that's important to be consistent with that and I think through the years I have been able to establish a certain personality and character that doesn't vary and I think because of that you know if your question if I understand your question properly I think is I've been able to uh, to be um, Understand by many, you know, I'm an immigrant, right? So here I am, leading men and women that were born and raised in this country, and and I think that it has nothing to do with anything. It's just the fact that people want really to be led by people that can lead by example, and I think that has been able to carry me through.
1: And and before we started, you were telling me a story about when you were in the academy and your first son was born. Yes. What was that story?
0: Yeah, it was funny. Yes. Yeah. So I, you have a 1994, I come on the job, and I think you know, uh, I'm at a call. It was right off Cranston Street, getting to a foot pursuit, foot chase. Uh, a domestic, and we ended up. I chased the kid. ended up grabbing him in the middle of the street. And as I'm holding him, they came over the radio saying, "Patrolman Perez to acknowledge." So I come over and I grab the radio and I says, "Yeah, Perez on." He says, "Well, you need to rush to a woman in infants hospital. My son was being born." So, yeah, it was funny. Yeah. And I was actually with uh, Coach Cooley's wife, Ed Cooley, Nuris Jimenez, who was at the, at the on the job at the she time. She was a fellow officer. She was a fellow officer. We came out of the academy together, and uh, she happened to be with me that night. And uh, it was funny, it was just uh, and it was it was a, it was a great moment. Obviously I rushed to the hospital and my son was born and
1: You it was, made it in time.
0: I made it in time and he's twenty eight years old, so he came he came to our family, her beautiful family, uh, at the same time that I came on this job.
1: <laughs> and you knew Coach Cooley as a kid.
0: Correct, yeah, yeah In we went South to high, Providence. Yeah, we went to high school together, graduated from Central High. Uh lived on the same street and a phenomenal person, great individual as a great leader in this community. Uh, yeah.
1: It's such a small... Providence is a small place. <laughs> it's, Pro, it's
0: Providence, Rhode Island, right? So, <laughs>
1: and so now you live in North Providence. Correct. A, another town. Uh, sometimes people say, you know, the police chief should live in the city. Do you have any plans to move back to Providence?
0: Well, it could happen. I just uh, it's something I thought about, and uh, it could happen right now. Just uh, to be looking into that, and mm-hmm. it just so happens that I happen to be in North Providence. But, yeah, that's uh, definitely an option. I've, I love the city. Grew up in the city. This city has seen me age. Uh, it has given me a lot. I mean, it put me in this dream of being the chief of police of a great city in, in, in this country, uh, but I've always looked at it, I'm leaving the American dream uh, behind this Providence police badge.
1: So what have been some of your, you've had a lot of different roles on the job leading up to becoming police chief, do you have a, a most memorable moment or days that really stick out to you?
0: There have been so many, You know, i be, to be honest, there have been a lot of great moments. Uh, Definitely becoming a captain to me it was uh, critical. I think it was phenomenal. I was the first person of color to re- reach that level of rank based on testing. Uh, and to me, I was very proud about that. And besides that, being a patrol officer, again, sworn in, uh, police in the neighborhood that I grew up in, um, there's been just, just great, great stuff, uh, being the colonel of the Providence Police Department. It's an outstanding dream that I, you know, just it's just incredible. I'm still feeling the emotions. I mean, it hit all the way to Colombia. People were uh, talking about that in the news there. So, you know, at first I was like, okay, you know, it's a, I, To me, I knew it was a great, great accomplishment. But I didn't realize how many people are proud of the fact that I'm here.
1: Um, I want to talk about your policing philosophy. You mentioned community policing a little bit. What does that term mean to you? Is Providence doing enough of it? And what is your plan for community policing?
0: Yeah, so we're blessed in this department, I think, because we've been embracing that community policing concept from, like, I can remember. I was one of the some not the first, but the, I was a member of the community police unit back in 90, I want to say 95, 96. Uh, so we've embraced that through that philosophy all throughout. Uh, we're pretty good at what we do, not to pat myself in the back, but I've had the privilege to go around this nation and... and mingle and interact with all the police chiefs and deputy chiefs and majors. And when I talk about what we're doing here in Providence, their eyes open. I'm, wow, you guys are doing that? yeah we are. It's nothing new to us. However, I think there's a momentum that, that we have. And Colonel Clemens, uh, our leader for the last 12 years, has been able to keep that momentum going. My job is to continue on that and evolve on that. Uh, I think our partnerships throughout in this community has been great. I think there's, there's there's room to increase that. I also think that there's also room to make sure that every officer that wears this uniform and this patch understands that concept. Uh, it's it's hard. it's hard, at times because, as you know, this profession has been is difficult and the recruiting has been very difficult. Uh, so the. Officers that we're able to graduate from the next academy. I want to make sure that every officer, including from the most seasoned to the most youngest, understands the value of community policing. And I think I mentioned earlier how important it is for our officers to understand that. Community policing is, is, is a term, right? But it's about being able to mentor a child or a kid or a juvenile, understanding the needs of our community. You know, everybody has needs. And the city is so diverse, everybody has different needs. We have to be. If you were happen to work in the east side of Providence, or you happen to work on Cranston Street, or you're working in South Providence, as an officer, you have to understand what it is that they want and how they want to be serviced, and that's what community policing is all about. You have to make sure that you interact with your community, understand what they need, and then deliver. Uh, and my goal is to be able to that every officer understand that concept. I.
1: And the officers are going back to the same neighborhood every day, so they're getting to know the people who live there. Is that the go- part of the goal?
0: Correct. Correct. They're being able to interact, being able to understand what business owners who they are. That the people in our communities know their officers. They should know them by name. They should know that they can count on them. We shouldn't just be responding when there's an issue. We should be able to have a relationship because it's a lot easier to control an issue or a problem when you respond when you have relationships.
1: And when you know about it before you know about it becomes them. a big Correct. bigger problem, Correct. so Colonel Clemens used to always talk about how, in order to really do community policing all out, you need more officers because Correct. you need them on foot or on bike and not just in their cars responding to nine one one calls. Um, but you have have an, had an issue with recruiting. So right. do you know how many officers you? Is the is the new academy class? fully selected do you know how many officers there are
0: yeah right now we have yeah it's, uh, we're about uh, 35 right now uh,
1: 35 so you were the, supposed to have 50 you were funded correct, for yeah. 50
0: and what happens is through the process some people decide that that's not for for them or the people you know will continue with the process some people decide that they want to go somewhere else and so that's the number we have now uh, but you know, it's, it's, people are always asking, like, what's the exact number, right? What is the exact number? I've for asked you? you that, yes. Correct. You have asked me that. And, and you know, sometimes you think about the right number is to be able to, again, I'll go back to the fact that there's so many different communities and you have to figure out what it is that you want to do. When you have more resources, you can do a lot more, right? And, and, and it's critical. You can have offices on foot. You can have whatever it is, that, you know, whether it is at the schools or, or in different communities and things things that they need. So. I think the number has to be a number that that is going to be able to fulfill those community policing initiatives that we're trying to to increase and to and to evolve on. So uh, I, I I just couldn't give you a number, but I think that definitely we need to increase our numbers to a certain extent.
1: And is that new class? Have they started? Yes. When did they start?
0: They started this uh, Monday.
1: Oh, yeah. just a They're couple just, days ago. Correct. And yep. so you know, thirty-five officers. When you wanted to get fifty. Um, I know that the police department has started doing accepting lateral transfers Correct. as an to try and help with this recruiting challenge. Um, are there any other plans? We saw in New Bedford they're actually offering, uh, I think it was $5,000 signing bonuses right. to get officers to join the department. Um, are you looking at anything like that?
0: Yeah, that's something that's a great, it's a great point, and I think some departments, I agree with you, are doing it. That's something that I would have to speak to the administration if that's even feasible.
1: What about sort of looking inward, too? Like, So what is it about being a police officer that not as many people want to join? Is there, is there something about policing that's less... Um, appealing to a young person looking into a new career
0: yeah no definitely i mean i put myself in their shoes right so as a young man I, I didn't think about like okay i admire the work but i never thought about joining and then once i started i took that class and they spoke I, I heard the passion of the officer speaking about this profession it called my attention personally i think if i was able to if i was to recruit somebody right now one of the things i would tell them is the fact that you're you you know you can get an education right from the department in the city, we'll provide that for you. Professional development is here. It's very rewarding to be able to make a change into a community that has needs, especially as a police officer. It's a very courageous and honorable job. There's times where we're actually saving people's lives, but it also comes with great responsibility. You, have the, you, can, take the, you, have, you can have the responsibility of, you know, I mean, you, you can take somebody's life, and that's, you can't take that lightly.
1: I want to ask you about a, a particular memorable moment in your career. Um, Colonel Clemens, who's always, he, he always talked about how much restraint is used by this department. It's very rare that you fire your service weapon, but you have had <clears> to do that. Correct. I think just once. Has it been more than once?
0: Uh, more than once, yes.
1: At, at, the one I'm aware of is at the highway shooting in, in 2017. Correct. What was that like?
0: So I'll tell you this is a... Uh, the um, this job comes with a lot of challenges, right? And many times you have to use deadly force, right? And so I think that every officer understands the responsibility that's given and putting up on them. Uh, I am someone who uh, uh, understands the challenges of this job, and I think it's critical for someone like myself to also know that the wellness of our officers is critical, is important, because of situations that can happen like that. The training, And education of our officers is critical. Um, So I guess to your question, it is, you know, no one wants to come to work and and get involved in anything that is serious in nature. But many times the job requires it, and and it is, and I understand that. Uh, I understand how difficult it is because at the end of the day, uh, it's important for every officer to know that public safety is number one.
1: Was there not, so was there another incident where you had to fire your service? So yeah, it, was,
0: uh, it was actually uh, where I've, I've been in this department for like almost actually you know, thirty years. I have had the privilege to work in narcotics, the gang unit, and it was it was actually during a raid. It was it was actually a pit bull that came at us, and unfortunately, I had to fire.
1: Yeah. Oh, at the dog. Yeah,
0: at the dog. Yeah, correct.
1: Um, and so and and you said you know it's something that I'm sure stays with you because it's rare. Yeah. It's rare. Providence police <clears> do not. There are years that go by where not one officer fires a weapon that whole year, right? Is that something that's also trained? We talk a lot about the Providence way of training being different than the rest of the state. Is that that restraint something that's trained?
0: It's rare. You're right. I mean, if I sit back here and tell you how many times a Providence police officer pulls his firearm, we'll be here for hours, right? But we don't have that many shootings, and it's because of the training and the professionalism that the men and women on this job have. Uh, I tell you, it's not because I'm patting myself in the back, but... We're pretty good at what we do, and it's to echo the words of uh, Colonel uh, Clements. I've I've lived it. We're pretty good at what we do, and the city knows they're in good
1: hands. Were there any areas that you would say you disagree with Chief Clements on your policing philosophy?
0: Uh, No, not at all. I think, you know, he's been a mentor. The chief is uh, beloved. He's a friend, uh, his family. Uh, And besides that, he knows when to be a boss. I think that I've, I've had the privilege to be able to learn a lot from him. Uh, and I think the reason I'm sitting in this place right now is because of the fact that I was paying attention, and he was pretty good at what he did. So no, I don't think that you know. I've always, I told him this. That's why I can make, I've always said to him that he's he's always he was always somebody that explained very well his decisions. So even if there was disagreement, he was always there was always conversation, and he included his team in making sure that uh, that we made the right choices and the right decisions. And so no.
1: You've said you want to um, reform the law enforcement officer's Bill of Rights. You wouldn't be in support of repealing it. Um, Of course, you don't get to make the decision on what happens with that law, but one of your own officers is the state rep who is going to be proposing changes, so I'm sure your opinion and the opinion of other police chiefs is going to be taken into account what specifically would you change about lia when you when you go tell lawmakers at the state house? Here's what I think you should change. What are you going to tell them?
0: So, so I think I said this in public the other day. I think a, a is uh uh is a basic due process that every officer should have. I get that, but it should be reformed in some ways. One way I think is important for the chief to have the authority to be able to you know issue discipline more than two days. I think that's minimum and is. It's especially in some situations, the chiefs should have the latitude to be able to you know determine how many days to give. The other thing is transparency, right? So when you're not transparent with the community you serve, there's a perception of unfairness. There's a perception of lying. There's a perception of something being covered up, and I think that language there needs to be reformed in some way. We should be able to speak when it comes to issues that affect the communities that we serve. And I said that in public, and I think that uh, those are the two things that come to mind when I think it's uh, uh, when, in my own opinion, of what should be addressed,
1: right? Because you can talk about other investigations in public, right? That correct. that you've, you've arrested someone, but when you arrest one of your own, you become sort of restrained because of Leopold from talking about what it is that happened, right?
0: There's restraints and there's constraints based on the the way the language is written, correct?
1: Um, I, I do want to quickly talk about gun violence because the city still has a gun violence problem. Even though the numbers are down, they're not zero. You see the numbers come by your desk every day, I'm sure. Do you have concerns about the current trends and what um, are you working on to combat gun violence?
0: So I agree with you, yes, that the numbers are down compared to you know, the last years. So when we looked at it, even though we've had some shootings, it's, uh, it's still it's still lower in the, the years past. Um, as far as uh, the plan, yeah, is to continue, like I said it's earlier, continue with the same movement we've done. Uh, we have pretty good proactive police officers that are doing what is needed to make sure that our city is safe. Uh, we work closely with many different uh, federal agencies, uh, different organizations throughout the city uh, to try and handle those issues. But uh, yeah, it's something that every American city is facing, right? Violence and it's unfortunate. Uh, many there's many illegal guns out there, and it's something that we need to figure out how to address. But. Uh, I know for a fact that we're in good hands, like I said, in the, pro- in the city of province, The province police officers are very proactive. The district commanders have a good hand on their particular districts. And as if I may explain, the district commanders are the mini police chiefs of those areas. We count on them a lot. And they're the ones that have a hand on what's going on in the particular districts. Some districts may be busier than others. We we rely on their knowledge. We rely on the knowledge of the community members to help us out to minimize some of that violence that we're having in the city. The Nonviolence Institute is a great partner of us, and we have many others that work very closely with the department.
1: You talked at the at the public forum when you were a candidate for police chief. You you mentioned something about making sure that we're not over policing certain neighborhoods. What did you mean by that? And is that something that's been a problem in Providence?
0: No, I, I, I just feel that it's, it's many other, many, many other uh, departments have had some issues when it comes to, you know, you just, if you're just sending police officers to areas because it's, it's a hot spot or it's a problem, right, based on nothing other than the fact that we're getting shootings in that area, I think it's critical for you to look at your data, right, figure out, and we're lucky in the sense that we have access to that stuff, figure out exactly where it's happening, figure out who are our players that are committing these issues, in our city and target specifically those individuals that are committing these this crimes. Uh, and the reason for that is because, like I said, I grew up in an environment uh, in Providence, in South Providence, and many times, like I told you earlier, we become victims of our own environment. We want to make sure that, and when I say victims, is the fact that we're getting pulled over because we backed up out of a house that may be very active. Might be a kid that's just going to school, going to college. So we want to make sure that our officers understand the responsibility they have, and when they're doing the police work that is targeted to specific individuals that are causing crimes in the city. And listen, I, I, I'll be the first one to say, if you're committing crimes in the city, if you're active and doing the wrong things in the city, then you got to expect the police officer to, to act on that, because at the end of the day, we have individuals in the city like myself who are trying to do the right thing. So it's critical to be able to do that, target specific individuals, and is data driven for a specific purpose.
1: Target the people, not the neighborhood. Correct. Um, finally, I just want to ask you: Is there anything you're working on that the community can expect to be announced in the coming months? Any new policies, new units? You know, I know you've only been chief for a month, but what yes. are you working on?
0: Uh, I think it's critical for me is this community policing vision that I have, right? And and it's something that I uh, that I'm trying to figure out what will be the best way to ensure that our officers and our community members can work together as a group. My thanks to Steph Machado and Colonel Perez for that interview. A reminder, you can take Newsmakers on the go and Steph's Pulse of Providence episodes by subscribing to the podcast. we got a QR code at the bottom of the screen there for Newsmakers. Thank you for watching. If you missed any of it, it's on WPRI.com. I'm Tim White. We'll see you next week on Newsmakers.